Okay, and welcome back to Fast Ship Performance. Then I'm Tim Davies, and I've got a podcast out. I'm going to talk to you about it a little bit right now. It's to do with uh, pushing yourself too far. I'm sorry if there's jet noise in the background. It's because I'm at Valley, and I've been here for the last two weeks. Well, almost three weeks now, really. And I'll head back to the office soon. But um, obviously, there's a flying schedule going on today. I need to drive down to the office. So uh, I've just bounced off home real quick to get this podcast out. So if there is jet noise in the background, um, I'll try and edit out in post. Uh, else we have to put up with it, aren't we? Because jets are noisy, frustratingly so, because when you're trying to do something else and they're just being so noisy. So, um, okay, the podcast I put out then is a well, it's actually called Why You Should Forget the Awesome for Now. And really, it plays on a lot of things I've been thinking about. Um, guys trying to stretch themselves too far too soon. Makes sense, doesn't it? Let's not run before we can walk. And it talks really about um, standards, the standards that we all have and that we all set for ourselves. And sometimes we allow them to be eroded, whether we do that ourselves or by letting other people do that. So that's what I've written about here. Um, I've been flying with a few students this week, mainly on sorties that involve radar work. They're called advanced radar sorties. And what that is really is um, generating a 50-mile split with the hostile aircraft, who tends to be in the south of Wales, where we fly, in the country of Wales. Uh, That's normally the job I do, is being the hostile. But today I've been flying, or this week, sorry, the last two weeks, I've been flying with students, um, who at the end of the course, the advanced radar syllabus is right at the back end, before they do the last phase, which is the op phase, which is, uh, I think, only two sorties. Advanced radar has about seven, I think, all of them, all of those seven, I think, are airborne. And you end up doing some quite complicated um, processes in effect, some events where you're targeting uh, aircraft in between 20 and 40 miles. And you're, you're doing that with uh, long range missiles, which we call beyond visual range. So outside of the range at which you can see that aircraft. And then eventually you'll merge with them and you'll go into what we call air combat maneuvering. And all that is really is basic fighting maneuvering. So air combat, but with two good aircraft versus one bad aircraft. The bad aircraft being flown with an instructor, the two good aircraft being flown by students uh, with instructors in there just to assess their ability, obviously, and keep them uh, keep them safe at the back end of the course. So they're very experienced students by the time they've come to us. Once they finish the advanced radar phase and they go on to the op phase, they literally do two trips and then we put them onto their frontline operational conversion units. The guys I've been flying with these last couple of weeks are going on to fly the Typhoon, and they're all going to also going to go and fly the F-35 or the Joint Strike Fighter out uh, in America. They do the training in America initially, and then they're going to bring the uh, training back here to fly on the jets we have in country. So the skill sets they have are um, highly tuned towards information processing, uh, much more so than the actual handling of the aircraft nowadays. The aircraft will fly themselves pretty much. It will still fly into the ground if you let it, of course, but... Um, Information processing is what we try and prioritize at the back end of this exceptionally complicated phase. So uh, I flew with a guy a couple of days ago, and when I got out of the jet, I said to him, what would you do if you were me? His trip hadn't been brilliant, and I just said, you know, what would you do? If you were the instructor in the airplane, and you'd just seen a performance like that, what would you do? And the thing is, what I want to see is his reaction. That's what's important to me as an instructor, and I've done this a while. It doesn't mean I'm Awesome, of course, but I have done it a while. Um, and what I want to see at the back end of the course here is how that guy can evaluate and appreciate his own performance. Because in these aircraft, he's going to go on to 
There is no other operator. There's no one else there apart from him. He has to evaluate his performance. He has to know whether what he is doing is safe, whether it's sound, whether it's um, going to benefit the mission, whether he's looking after his buddies on the wing or he's helping out his flight lead. So these things are really important and I wanted to get his evaluation. From his evaluation, of course, I can tell whether learning is taking place and whether you can do that, uh, whether we're going to pass or fail that particular sortie because at the back end here, as I said, I'm about to send him out of our flight school and the reputation of our flight school is uh, obviously something that we hold in high regard. I am talking on about what we're doing here and that's not what you guys want to hear, obviously, is it? You want to just um, hear the post here. So I'll read through it now. Uh, I do get a lot of comments from people. Love that. Please understand that I can't put everything in every post else I'd just be writing one ever long post. Uh, I had a comment, I think, on LinkedIn with the post where it said... Um, Along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, uh, it said something like, I'm really disappointed that you didn't say that pilots could fly UAVs too. Uh, I'm not overly sure I've got that the right around in my mind. But of course, I can't do everything in every post and I'm just going to have to leave stuff out. You you get a thick skin when you put stuff out there on dem interwebs, as I'm sure you understand. I do appreciate the emails you guys all write to me, obviously. Uh, I really do. And the book, let's talk about the book later. Yeah, let's talk about the book later. Let's get this done. Okay, so why you should forget the awesome for now. Okay, do you want to know a pretty good way of killing yourself? Fly an aircraft long enough that you get lazy, let your standards slip, and do something stupid. Highly skilled jobs need razor-sharp concentration, but sometimes people lose focus. Look at some sportsmen who have got to the top of their game and then messed up. Think Tiger Woods or Lance Armstrong. It wasn't their technical skill that let them down, it was their standards. Now I'm currently writing a book about decision making and analysing how I have made decisions over the last 20 years of flying military fast jets. Some decisions have been intuitive, do or die ones, but others have been long, drawn out, rational thought processes. In flying training, decision making is not something you are ever formally taught and tends to be wrapped up in the catch-all of airmanship. And here's a quote for airmanship. It says, airmanship covers a broad range of desirable behaviours and abilities in an aviator. It is not simply a measure of skill or technique, but also a measure of a pilot's awareness of the aircraft, the environment in which it operates, and of his own capabilities. Now, although I might have hinted at skill fade as a precursor to a pilot's untimely demise, awareness, environment, and capability also play a part. Now, I tend to fly less than I used to, as now my primary role is office-based. I make sure that contractors give the RAF the aircraft they promise to deliver on time and to the required specifications. What this means, however, is that when I do fly, I tend to see a snapshot of flying that was previously not available to me when I was doing it full time. And this interests me a lot. It interests me because many things that I once took for granted now make me think a little deeper. I ask the question, why? A lot. And in my soon-to-be-published, internationally acclaimed and obviously best-selling book on decision-making, he says, um, I have a whole chapter on identifying the decision that you have to make and asking why you have to make it. Now, when I was flying full-time, I was responsible for upholding the flying standards on the RAF's largest fast jet squadron for all student and instructor pilots. 
The squadron is bigger than the UK's entire Tornado GR4 force combined. There is some serious talent knocking about there and I had to make sure that everybody was flying to the same high level. But there has always been a problem with flying aircraft that is still not universally acknowledged and has never been fully resolved. There has to be a pilot. And until Elon Musk comes along and buys Airbus and removes the pilot from the loop entirely, pilots will still be required to fly the aircraft. And this is a problem. It's a problem because pilots are human and just like humans, pilots can also be dicks. Pilots can let their fitness slip. They can have a poor diet. They can lose their concentration at critical times. They can be affected by what they've heard on the news that morning. They can get angry at management or have a row with their partner before coming to work. In short, pilots, like everybody else in the world, can have bad days. Now, sometimes I fly with a pilot who is having a bad day. In aviation, we brief that we don't take our personal life into the cockpit. And if there is one thing that pilots are very good at, it is compartmentalizing those emotions and leaving them at home. But sometimes a pilot will go flying when they are not 100%. Maybe they're operating in the early 90s or late 80s, still operating as a major flying ninja warrior, but just not one who has a postgraduate degree in it from an Ivy League university. And last week, I had a bad day. I made a mistake that could have left me embarrassed and would have seen me landing below the minimum fuel that I needed to return to my base with. Now, I pushed my fuel usage on the back end of a sortie so that a pilot in another aircraft could complete a serial that I was supporting. And that was an advanced radar serial, by the way. That was us 2v1 into a hostile merge. There was just one run left. And although my jet told me that it wanted to go home, I overrode it and told it that I knew best. After the run, and upon closing the throttle and pointing my jet towards the airfield, I did some maths and thought, yep, the jet did know best. You'll be lucky to get away with this one. In short, I'd been a dick. Now, I did eventually land with the exact amount of fuel required, to the kilogram, in fact, but it took every bit of skill and luck that I could muster in order to do so. But I learned a valuable lesson. My standards were slipping, and... As an aviator, I realised that it was a chapter of a book that has been left unwritten by too many dead pilots over the last few years. We all have standards. From whether you never leave the house without a tie, to cleaning your children's faces before they go to school, we all have a level that we refuse to allow ourselves to fall below. I'm sure you can see people's standards being eroded in your workplace. Just look around you. The girl who is having a muffin and coke for lunch. The boss who has started to come into meetings late. Or the guy who is skipping the gym and putting on weight. When you allow your standards to slip, you're effectively allowing yourself to be less awesome. You are approving of your own poor behavior and saying, I'm going to let myself down today. It is normally a result of short-term thinking and we are all guilty of it. I recently flew with a student who did something that I see a lot. It was a very minor error and normally I would have wrapped it up with some aspects of the flight and just debriefed it as one of those things. But this time I didn't want to let it go so easily. You see, we have some very talented young pilots on the squadron at the moment, which is a good thing as we have some very complicated aircraft coming into service and we need good girls and guys to fly them. But the aircraft we now send our students onto are all single seat. There is no other crew member. 
and they are all capable of feeding the pilot a ton of information. Technology means that flying the aircraft has now become less of a challenge. Information management and decision making are the new priorities. Have you ever been in a rush to leave the house and forgotten the car keys? Or tried to find a parking space and had to turn the radio off? That's because you are task saturated and your mind can't concentrate on the thing that you want to do. That's what happens in a busy single seat cockpit when information overload starts to occur. Except that you are flying an aircraft and it is trying to kill you. Now my student's mistake was one that I see a lot of instructors make also. All he did was read back an altimeter pressure setting that air traffic had asked him to set before he had actually set it. So Victor 61 set QFE 1034. 1034 set Victor 61 would be the reply. And then he would set the altimeter. So he's replied to air traffic and told him he set the altimeter before he set the altimeter in the cockpit. Okay. So what's the big deal, you ask? And to the uninitiated, it really doesn't seem to be a problem. Look at it like telling your boss that you've done that thing he asked you to do and then rushing back to your desk to do it, but getting distracted by the hot girl on accounts and forgetting all about it. It just results in some aspect of badness. And in all honesty, my student's jet wasn't going to explode because he had failed to do this one small thing. Well, not yet anyway. But what he didn't realize he was doing, and here's the real lesson, was that he was purposely and intentionally eroding his own safety processes. He was disregarding the things he did that were keeping him safe now and reducing his ability to keep himself safe in the future. And you know what that is called? Airmanship. So we often say that pilots start with a bucket of luck and a bucket of experience. The key to staying alive is to fill the experience bucket before the luck one runs out. In flying training, we often joked that you had to be gash to be good, which meant that you had to make your flying look effortless, easy, cavalier even. You had to cut corners, mix events, shortcut well-respected processes. It was our homage to some very old and bold senior naval pilots that we knew when we were young naval officers learning to fly. In the UK, for American and Australian guys, gash is a UK military term for doing things poorly or badly. Now, of course, we all knew the truth. To look as good as the bigger pilots and to make it seem so effortless, you needed to be anything but gash. It took years of conscious, disciplined, hard work and making sure that everything you did was deliberate and safe. Those early years were where you started filling up the experience bucket. Here's a quote. Truly superior pilots are those who use their superior judgment to avoid those situations where they might have to use their superior skills. Now, flying is all done in the head. Yes, the hands and feet move about a lot, but it's the head that is telling them what to do. And the more you do something, the more familiar it gets. The problem is that familiarity can make good habits deteriorate over time. Think about when you first got the job you're in now. You're probably excited. You turned up on time. You maybe even did extra work over lunch or in the evening. Now I bet you used to wear your best clothes when you first dated your spouse, but now you just rock around in sweatpants and a dirty t-shirt. Because familiarity, it breeds contempt. 
And the more we do something, the more we are inclined to do it less well. In a single-seat aircraft, there is nobody else there to check that you are doing the thing well. That the gear is locked down, the flaps are set, that your oxygen is functioning correctly, or that you have enough fuel to get yourself home, which obviously I didn't, my bad. But when you rush those checks or you pay them lip service, you are eroding your ability to remain safe in the longer term. You make it okay to skip things, to do them later, or to promise yourself that you'll look at them the next time. You make these practices familiar and easier to process in the brain. It's called cognitive ease. It reduces the load on your thinking, and this rapidly becomes your normality. Now, humans will work to the path of least resistance. This is natural, and we all do it because we can conserve energy for something that might require it later, like hunting a buffalo or starting a fire to heat our cave. But that doesn't make it right. So here's what I tell my students who find themselves demonstrating poor airmanship at this early stage. Look for the things that require no talent and do them really well. Flying takes skill, we all know that, but changing a radio frequency or pressure setting when told to do so does not. Do those things that require no skill consistently well and you'll add to your bag of experience which you might need later like checking your child as lunch money or double-checking for motorcyclists before you pull out of a road junction. You'll build up routines that will be with you forever and will keep you alive when you're all alone at night over hostile territory and busier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. So be on time, wear smart clothes to work and be polite to people. All those things take no effort but elevate you in the eyes of your peers and, more importantly, yourself. It allows you to work on the more complicated areas of your job knowing that you have a firm baseline from which to start. Now, if you cut corners on the road to experience, you will likely end up in the ditch of despair. So doing the smaller things well is what makes the bigger people better. And that's it. We're done. I really appreciate it. Um, let's just chat about... Uh, what should we chat about? Let's chat about the book, as I said we would do. Um Obviously, the book is on decision-making. That's what a lot of people wanted it to be about. I really appreciate that. I think it was about 65% of people wrote back and said, I'd really like to have a book that helped me make better decisions or decisions quicker, which is great, of course, because obviously that's what pilots tend to do. Um, one of the secrets, really, of making those decisions, uh, and I'm going to talk about this more in the book in depth, but it's about the planning. It's about being prepared for the event that's going to happen. You can imagine a special forces unit goes into a building they know where people are likely to pop out of they know where their aim of fire needs to be focused on so all these things have been practiced in the past and the great thing about decision making of course is that we can actually practice it you make a lot of decisions every day but some of the ones that you're going to come up against buying a car whatever it might be uh, we can practice those and in the book we go into some detail about that now the problem i've got with the book at the moment i do have a publisher and she's putting a lot of pressure on me to get this book out i totally get that there's a lot that I want to put in the book. But of course, I'm not a Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I'm, I'm not writing a book to that level. I can't. I just I haven't done the, the, the levels of research and academia these guys have been involved in. So I'm going to say in the beginning of the book, this is just an opinion I have. 
Um, I'm hoping that you can really benefit from it. And I want you to take the book as that. This is like me making an excuse, isn't it? Please don't hate my book. It's not that. I'm just trying to get some ideas out that I've been thinking about with decision making into something that is um, actionable. Does that make sense? Something that people can read and go, yeah, that's helped me actually progress and move forward in my life. Because I read a lot of books. Um, I've got loads of books around me right now. And some of the books I read, I don't take anything from them. Let's... I may have read a lot of great information in that book and I think, yeah, I remember that, but I don't remember it. It doesn't stay with me. And I don't think it stays with me because I'm not using it every day. I'm not putting it into some kind of practice. And if we don't put it into practice, we forget about it. And if it's not familiar, we don't remember it and all that kind of thing. So the book really has to be um, simplified to make it effective. And that's the hardest thing I'm, I'm finding at the moment is trying to condense what I've written into something that I know people can actually benefit from. That, that hopefully that makes a lot of sense. Even some of these posts I write, I have to really dumb down to make them, in my mind, actionable. Uh, if I left the complicated stuff in, you can imagine if you started reading the stuff at the beginning, you'd switch off, I'd switch off. I'd switch off trying to write them, to be honest with you. It needs to be something that I can take and use. I think that's the problem with some researchers, actually. My wife deals with a lot of researchers. Um, in her job and some of the problems that they have is that they can't communicate their research to people in an effective way it's actually quite sad because some of the stuff when I talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one, I think yeah that's that's really important you could be the key person of influence in this field but you don't know how to influence people with it because you can't communicate it properly does that make sense if we think of people that are exceptionally academic um, and what their minds are doing, they, they find it very difficult to communicate it. They write, if you ever read an academic paper, for example, um, the best bit of it is a summary at the beginning. The rest of it is the depth, isn't it? The stuff that we don't normally read. And so what I'm trying to do is get ideas out that we can all really use. And so I've got a process in there that I tend to use. Um, it's actually uh, quite a basic process, but in writing it out like it is and following it like it is, I know that we can use it. I know that we can really use it. And within each part of that process, uh, I go deep into what it actually means, what it means foundationally to us. It's like, you know, what part of us does this really impact, this particular part of our process? I also talk about our intuitive thinking, our snap decisions, how we base those, how we can make them better and how we can make them robust. And if there's anything that I want to come out of this book to everyone that reads it, is that when you finish it, you think, okay, I've got a better understanding of how we make decisions fine. We could all read books that talk about, you know, our um, reptilian brain, everything else. And I'm, I really want to kind of steer away from that sort of thing about talking to talking about the prefrontal cortex and everything. That's out there. If you want to read that, that's there. That's already been written. We can do that. What I want to talk about is my experiences over 20 years of being involved in flying in highly dynamic environments and how I've taken that and how I use that in my life. And of course, here's the other thing. Here is the other thing. This is not going to be for everyone, is it? Let's be honest. Um, and that's absolutely fine. And one of the things I really want to do is try and work out and maybe put in the description of the book, like when it appears on Amazon, that this might not be for you. And if it isn't for you, then I apologize, but don't go and buy the book. Don't buy the book and then and get upset about it. So that's the sort of things that I'm, I'm thinking of. And I really appreciate the comments, especially the ones on LinkedIn. If you haven't LinkedIn to me, do that. Okay, do link in, uh, go and find Tim Davies. Uh, you'll find out and just link in. I'll link him back with you. I really do appreciate that. And we'll share some knowledge and stuff. Um, or send me an email, whatever. And I've said that already, tim at fastjetperformance.com. Uh, let me know if you want and I'll put you on a list. And then when the book comes out, I'll send you an email straight out. If you're not on my email list already for the uh, website, 
by all means, there should be a box that pops up when you move your cursor off it um, that says, hey there, warrior, subscribe. And I send like one email a month. It's nothing. It's really small. And the reason I do that is to just offer you stuff that might be not appearing on the website. That's all. Okay. That's all. Um, what else? That's really it. I really appreciate the comments. Uh, keep them coming, please. If you want to use my material, just use it. If you want to publish this in a magazine you have, just publish it. Okay, just make sure at the bottom it says Tim at FastJet Performance or, or FastJetPerformance.com, whatever it might be. I do some speaking as well out there. If you want me to come and speak at your uh, your event you're doing, give me a call. I should be able to do that for you. Uh, what else am I doing? So the books, the speaking, the, there's, there's some other stuff going on. It's a bit it's a bit crazy, which is great. I'll try and get some more YouTube stuff up there as well. Uh, and obviously these podcasts come out. I'll try and get more of these as well. Um, okay, and that's really it. So by all means, send me an email. I'll write back to you. Um, if you are... 12 looking to join the Air Force, it's hard for me to communicate what to do between ages of 12 and 18 because obviously it's a long time ago for me, but there are some uh, things I can point you in the direction of. Um, and if you are wanting to join the Air Force and you're older than that, then there are some other resources out there as well I can direct you to. So, but of course, all my students went through the joining the Air Force or joining the Navy process probably six or seven years ago. So even their knowledge, and I do ask them, isn't that sound? Okay. Um, thanks so much for listening. I hope you appreciate the, uh, the article and the, the podcast I've just done. Anything else you want me to talk about, then by all means, you know, send me an email and I'll see what I can do. And I really appreciate the support. I love chatting to people when they write in. Okay. Thanks so much. Tim Davies, Fast Ship Performance. <laughs>